All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, Acts 21 this morning. Acts chapter 21 will be in verses 27 to 40. We'll finish up this chapter. The title of this sermon is The Road to the Cross. I was just, uh, just kind of praying while we were preparing just, just this moment. I just want to say, I'm just really honestly almost overwhelmed is the right word to say. Like, I'm just so young, and I don't know why people come to hear me teach the Bible. They don't. They, hear, they come to hear the Word of God. I'm just like, I'm just not, uh, there's no reason for me to be here apart from the grace of God and the Word of God. So just really proud of you guys as a church. I wouldn't humble myself to listen to someone younger than me. I'm too proud. So I just can tell you guys, you're here for the Word of God. And just, I'm just so thankful that we're a church that's like, hey, We'll listen to this young kid, these young guys. They don't know anything, but, uh, but they try to teach us the word of God. And so that, I'm just so thankful that we have the word this morning to look to and learn from and that you're willing to do that through uh, someone like me. So let's read Acts 21 together, the end of Acts 21. Hey, love you guys. All right, Acts 21 says this. When the, when the seven days were nearly over, Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters and officers, uh, when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul had reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they all were silent, he said to them in Aramaic, we're going to stop, that's next week, but that's the word of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, thank you for your word that's living and active and powerful. It's what this whole church is built on by the power of your spirit, Lord. Where would we go? Where else would we go but to your word? Where else would we want to learn from? What else has power to change us, to show us the glory of Jesus, to lead us in righteousness, to save? What else has the power to save people? to change, take hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. 
Lord, we're just so thankful that you have spoken to us through your powerful word. And I really, really believe, Lord, I know because your word says it, that that you're going to do a powerful work this morning through your word, that it's not going to return void, that you are going to encourage us and challenge us and equip us and make us more like Jesus. So would you um, help me just to get out of the way and just be really faithful to explain what is here and what it means for our life? Please, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would this, this together be this time of worship as we just say, God, we trust you. Whatever you say, we trust you. We will obey you. We will follow you. So now speak your word, make it alive to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so quick context. It's verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, remember what's going on here is Paul's, Paul's been traveling to Jerusalem, right? He's like, I got to get to Jerusalem for this festival. And he arrives in Jerusalem and the, the disciples and apostles, the church there are like, hey, there's going to be some opposition to you here. So here's what you, you should do. Um, you should take these Jews who are in a vow and you should pay for their purification and um, you should shave your head too with them. And I'm glad I didn't have to teach that one last week so I can uh, keep my long hair. Just kidding. And so anyways, they're like, okay, um, so you're going to do all of this so that the Jews will see, Paul, that you're not anti-Jewish, that you're a good Jew so that there could be peace. So Paul does all of that stuff. He, he, he's laying down his rights for the sake of the gospel. And then it begins, it says, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Now, these Jews from the province of Asia are all the Jews from like the previous like 10 chapters. Cities of like Thessalonica, Ephesus, Corinth, all of those towns that Paul has been to, they also came to Jerusalem for this festival and they see Paul. And they're like, man, we've already kicked you out of our cities and now here you are. And so they stir up the whole crowd. These same people that have been stirring up crowds and cities against Paul, they, they stir up the whole crowd again in Jerusalem. And it's important to, to recognize this fact. Luke, who wrote this text, also wrote the book of Luke. And he's, he's been drawing a parallel between the end of Paul's life and the end of Jesus's life. He's intentionally wanting us to notice there's this pattern. I got to get to Jerusalem where the Spirit's leading me to Jerusalem where I know that I'm going to suffer. Uh, Notice these similarities, these parallels. Both Paul and Jesus have done ministry in other places, but they're like, it's going to end. It's going to end in Jerusalem. Both of them were rejected by the crowds and specifically the Jews. Both of them, as we just read, were unjustly accused and arrested without legitimate cause. They were imprisoned and misrepresented by false witnesses. Both of them heard the, the mob shouting away with him. Both faced trials, like, like, like a legal trial in front of the Roman leaders, in front of the Jewish leaders. And as we know, both of their lives ended in an unjust death. Luke is wanting us to notice that as Jesus was on his road to the cross, Paul is on his road to the cross. And what, what this means for us, church, is a reminder that following Jesus always involves the cross. 
That's what the, the next eight chapters of the book of Luke is, is, is a slowing down as we look at the end of Paul's life, as it's suffering and it's unjust and it's the cross, just like Jesus's life. Every one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John slowed down and spent a lot of time on the end of Jesus's life, the cross. And Jesus says to us, if you want to follow me, this is what he said in Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. So Paul is quite literally following the footsteps of Jesus to Jerusalem where he's going to face his death. Now we know he, he's gonna go through a whole series of trials. He's eventually gonna get to Rome where he ends, the book ends and he's in imprisonment. He's, he's imprisoned in Rome and church history knows he was executed. And this is, this is a long kind of drawn out process. The next eight chapters of Acts um, are this long drawn out process of the, the cross in Paul's life. And that itself is, is a, a metaphor, is a parable for us that often the cross that we pick up daily is this long process. Following Jesus is often this long, drawn out process of daily picking up our cross and obeying Jesus. And man, there are so many things we should learn from the Apostle Paul. He was a, such a good missionary and evangelist and pastor and leader and teacher and father in the faith. But let me suggest that the most significant thing you can learn, we as a church can learn from Paul, is what it looks like to follow Jesus on the road to the cross. This is why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. Paul's like, I'm gonna follow Jesus even if it costs me my life. And then he says to us as a church, church, follow me, live like me, learn from me as I follow Jesus. Pick up your cross and follow me. The most significant act of Jesus' life was his obedience and his walk to the cross. And, and church, we who wanna follow Jesus, we say to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you even if it entails a cross, because it, it does entail a cross. I'll follow you on the road to the cross. Whatever you say, Jesus, even if it feels like obeying you is death, I'll do it. I'll follow you to the road of the cross. Wherever you lead me, Jesus, even if it feels like death or if it literally leads me to death, I will go. Whatever you tell me to give up, Jesus, I will give up. However you tell me to love others who have hurt and wounded me, as you were hurt and wounded on the cross and yet forgave them, I will do that too, Jesus. However you lead me, I will follow you on the road to the cross. Now, I, I wanna mention there's a lot out there about, uh, well, there's, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel that I'm sure we're all familiar with on some level or not. And it can bleed into our walk with Jesus very easily. It's essentially just uh, the promises of the world um, just bleeding into our walk with Jesus. And, and let me just say, one of the most helpful ways to recognize a false gospel, a false teaching, a false teacher, is to just examine if it has an adequate theology of the cross. Um, there will be a resurrection and a new life with incredible blessings, but before that comes the cross. And if you're trying to get to heaven right now, a new earth right now, and just skip over the cross, 
you need to ask yourself if it's really Jesus you're following um, or, or if it's really Jesus you're listening to. Or, or when you read this book, if, if you just kind of skip over the cross and just want the blessing, we need to ask, is it really, am I, is Jesus really the one I'm following? Is, are people, is it people like Paul that I'm following on the road to the cross? Church, we have to develop a healthy, robust theology of suffering and a theology of the cross. And, and here's why. Not because we just want to be morbid and depressed, but because we are going to suffer. Church, we, if, if the Lord lets this church live uh, 20, 30, 50, 100 more years, we will have much suffering to go through as the people of God. We will have much loss that we will all go through as a church. There, we will endure together much suffering, much sickness, much death. If this church lives a long life, we will have to endure a lot of relational hardship and heartbreak. We will endure cultural pushback as we seek to obey Jesus. And the more familiar we are with the way of the cross, the more prepared, the better prepared we will be for this life that Jesus has us on. And it's Jesus' love for us, his bride, that he says, hey, there's going to be suffering. You're going to have to carry a cross to follow me. It would not be loving as a, as a heavenly father to just not equip his children for the cross, for suffering. Uh, the rest of this book is, is a training, equipping in the cross. And these uh, verses that we're gonna look to together, we're gonna see three truths about the road to the cross, about the cross. Uh, so the first thing we, we will see in, in the first early verses is this truth. The cross itself is an offense. The cross itself, look at, let's read verses uh, 28 to 29 together. Actually, yeah, yeah, verse 28. So they seize Paul, and this is what they say, verse 28. Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. The Jews were threatened by the message that Paul was preaching, the message of Jesus, the message of the cross. Paul later says the, the cross is foolishness to the world. When the world looks at the cross, they're like, this is foolishness. When Jews look at the world and spiritual people look at the world, it's a stumbling block. It's ridiculous. Why would God die? Like that's foolishness. That's a stumbling block. I can't get past that. And so the message and the, the person of Paul and all he represented was an offense to the Jews. And, and they're honestly, this is a false accusation. It's, it's hyperbole. They're saying Paul's preaching to everyone, everywhere, against our people, our law, and this place. First of all, Paul was a good Jew. He wasn't against Jews. And he loved the law of God. He wasn't against the law. And he loved the temple. He was there worshiping. So this is a false accusation. But it's important to notice that when we are following Jesus and proclaiming the cross, it will be a threat to, it's, listen, first of all, it's a threat to an insider mentality, 
right? Like he's, he's preaching against our people. It's, it's a threat against human tradition and laws and strength and power. It's a threat to man-made religion. And I want us to look specifically at how the cross is an offense to those three things that, that they say. Our people, our law, our place. So quickly, the cross threatens what they would say is our people. Jesus was accused of this as well. The Jews hated when Jesus loved Samaritans. They hated it. The Jews hated when Jesus loved sinners and tax collectors. They felt like Jesus was threatening this insider mentality. Like, no, we're the Jews. Don't threaten us, the Jews. But sadly, we know the Jews had missed the point of what it was to be Jewish. They thought that to be Jewish was to exclude others, to keep aliens and Gentiles out. They forgot that God said, I chose you because you are the least of all the people on the earth so that, you, and I'm gonna bless you, Abraham and all your people so that you would be a blessing to the whole earth. I'm gonna choose you to be my people so that you would be a blessing to those who aren't yet my people. The Jews thought we're blessed to just be blessed and that's it. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, when prophets in the Old Testament showed up, when Paul shows up, it's a threat to this insider mentality. And do you know why Jesus was so upset that day when he overturned uh, tables in the temple? It wasn't just because they were making money off of the temple. It was because they were making money in the court of the Gentiles. At that time, there was like the Holy of Holies where only the, the high priest could go. And then there was like the holy place where the priest could go. And then there was the, the place where the Jewish men could go. And then there was the court of the women. And then there was the court of the Gentiles. And all of these guys set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile and you wanted to seek the presence of God, there would be like animals and there'd be like like, you know, all, all that would come with sacrificial animals and money exchanging. It was loud and chaotic. And Jesus was upset that the Gentiles could not pray in God's house. And he overturned it because they were keeping people out of the kingdom of God. Here, Paul is accused of bringing, they're like, and he brought a Gentile into the temple, which first of all, he didn't. They just saw uh, Paul in the city with someone and assumed Paul's bringing outsiders into our place. And it's important to recognize that Jesus and Paul and still today, the gospel threatens our insider mentality. It threatens racism. It threatens our desire to just be around people who are just like us. The gospel is for every person, tribe, nation, tongue, gender, subculture, and even harder to comprehend, sinners. The gospel is for everyone. And when we think, no, it's just about us, man, that's the, the cross is an offense to that. Also, the cross is an, ups, an, an offense to the Jewish laws. Now, what was going on here is Paul, wasn't, he, Paul never preached against the, the law of God. He was a faithful Jew. He even went above and beyond, obeyed the laws of Judaism. Uh, what Paul was doing is what Jesus was doing when Jesus said this to the Jews. You have let, I think we have this, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. We uh, as fallen humans have a desire to uh, add our own laws, our own human traditions, our own like, if you wanna be spiritual, you have to do this, you have to look like this, you have to only do this and not do this. 
And the cross is an offense to man-made tradition and man-made religion. Another word for that is legalism. The cross is an offense. Do you know why the cross is an offense to man-made religion? Because those of us who have been rescued by the cross of Jesus know that we didn't earn anything. We didn't deserve anything. We were simply given grace by Jesus. That Jesus alone is, he is the only one who is holy. And, and all of our, anything we have to offer is from Jesus, from his love, from his blood, cleansing our sin and receiving his imputed righteousness and receiving the spirit of God and being changed. We know that we have been rescued by grace, that, that, that we deserved the cross, but Jesus took it for us. And so when people begin to add their own man-made rules and traditions, man, the cross says no. The cross says that is not what makes you right with God, only the blood of Jesus. That is why Jesus was hated for spending time with sinners and tax collectors. How could you love those people? And Jesus is like, that's what I I came for sick people. I came for people who need my grace and my love. Which is, which is all of us, unless we, unless we think like these people did, that we don't need the grace of God. We just need our laws and traditions. And finally, the cross was, an upset, uh, was upsetting the Jews' place. He, it says again, this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. The, the cross changes the way we think about the place of worship. Worship is no longer bound to a physical place, a temple, a sacrificial system with extra holy people who are priests. It's no longer, we we no longer have to go to Jerusalem to seek the presence of God. The cross said the moment Jesus died on the cross, the, the veil was torn from top to bottom, and those who've trusted in Jesus, we receive the spirit of God. And now we, church, as a people, are the temple of God. No longer do people have to come to a specific holy place to be with God. The cross ended that idea that worship is stuck in a place. Um, a really easy kind of practical application for us is there's nothing sacred, you guys, about this physical space. Uh, there's freedom in the New Testament, there's a reason why there aren't specifics about uh, the temperature of the room or the lighting or the volume or the song choice. There is freedom in Jesus to pursue love for one another and to worship Jesus as we are the temple of God. And so we need to hold really loosely our attachment to physical places and traditions that we think, no, this is how it has to be. That's, the, the cross is an offense to that kind of mentality. Um, we say, this space is yours, Jesus. You can take it. We'll, we'll go anywhere. We, the people of God, are the, the, the place that the Spirit comes and meets with us. So, so my prayer is that we would be a church that, that never hoards our resources or our traditions or an insider status, but we're willing to give them all up for the sake of Jesus and the gospel and the world. Now, that's the first thing we see in this text. The, the cross is an offense to people. The second thing we see about the cross is this truth. On the road to the cross, we will suffer physically and at the hands of other people. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you will suffer physically and you will suffer at the hands of of other people. 
Uh, Let's just read briefly verse uh, 30 to 32 to see this. The whole city was aroused. The people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple. Immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers, soldiers, ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commanders and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. This is one of so many times we have seen Paul seized and dragged and beaten um, nearly to the point of death. And I mean, this is, this is crazy language. They were trying to kill him. They were beating him. Uh, many of our brothers and sisters in the world literally have suffered this way and are suffering this way. Um, but what else is true is if, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we all, we all will physically suffer. That's just part of what it is to live in this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials. We will all face physical illness and death unless Jesus comes back. Please, Jesus, come back. Um, but sickness and death, many in our church right now are facing serious illness. Um, suffering physically is part of what it is to carry the cross and follow Jesus. Jesus suffered physically. Paul suffered physically. We will all suffer physically. And what's significant, though, is like Jesus and Paul, we on the road to the cross, face our physical suffering differently than the world does. This is so important. Paul didn't fight back. Paul didn't complain about his suffering. In fact, as we stopped, he turns around and starts ministering to the people who were beating him. It is important to recognize we do not face our physical suffering the same way the world does. When we suffer in these bodies... We have this peace that knows, hey, this is not my final body. The day is coming when Jesus is gonna make all things new. I'm gonna be given a new body. And so my physical suffering is temporary. It's temporary. Man, just hear that. Your physical suffering is temporary. And there's coming a day when we will no longer suffer physically. This is why Peter encourages a church that was suffering. This is what he says to them. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's, I love that the word of God here is it's open-ended. It's not specific. It's not, we don't know exactly what the fiery ordeal was because it's the word of God for us as well. Hear this from a loving pastor. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You will face fiery ordeals and it, it may test you and your faith. We, we can't think like the world does. Why is this happening? This is crazy. This is strange. I thought I'm following Jesus. I thought life's supposed to be easy. It's like, no, don't think something strange is happening. Part of the cross is that we will suffer. It's not strange. When we get a difficult diagnosis, it's not strange. It's not out of the ordinary. That is part of what it is in this fallen world as we bear crosses. Hear Jesus' words in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When we face physical suffering, we have the peace of Jesus. 
We suffer differently. And let me even suggest that as we suffer differently, as Paul suffered differently, as Jesus suffered differently, we will be effective. We will be strange to the world. Like, why would you suffer this way? Why do you have peace right now? And we have an opportunity, as Paul does in his suffering, to minister the good news of Jesus to the world. Now, Paul suffered physically, but as our point said, he also suffered at the hands of, of people. Um, we, will, we will all f- suffer physically, but maybe more difficult is we will suffer um, by the hands and actions and words of people in our lives. And as Jesus followers, again, we react differently when we are hurt by people. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. Paul, as he's bearing his cross, so to speak, turns around and every opportunity he gets from this moment to the end of the book of Acts, he's using the abuse he's receiving from people to turn around and minister to them every time. He's praying for them. He's pleading with them to come to Jesus. And again, as, as, we, as we follow a man who carried a cross and was nailed to it at the hands of other people, and says, forgive them, Father, when we suffer at the hands and words and emotions of others, we then, we follow Jesus there, and we turn and say, Father, forgive them, and I forgive them. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to hold grudges. I have been forgiven so much by Jesus. My sin put Jesus on the cross, and Jesus forgave me. And he's given me his spirit and his love for others. And so I will not treat this person the way they deserve. I'm gonna treat them with grace and with love. I will forgive them. And again, that, as we suffer like that, that is another way we will minister the power of the cross to the world. Like, why would you forgive them? Why would you forgive me? Because Jesus has forgiven me. We, when we carry the cross as we've been hurt by others, we, like Jesus, Paul, we forgive them. We love them. We minister to them. And the third truth we see in this text about the cross is this. The road to the cross is carefully measured and designed. Let's, I want us to notice this before I, I talk about it. Um, look at verse 31 and 32. We're going to notice a couple different things. First of all, it's measured, okay? Look at what's happening here. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. God allowed Paul to suffer to a point. He said, no, this isn't time for Paul to die. I'm stopping it. I'm sending in soldiers to stop the suffering. Paul was protected here. And, and throughout the whole book of Acts, we see Paul sovereignly protected by the hand of God. It, his suffering is measured by God. He's shipwrecked. He gets bitten by a snake. He plots to murder him. God's always just protecting him until it's his moment to die. He's, his suffering, his cross is measured by God. Uh, I want us to notice this it'll often feel like it's not measured and it's not designed, it's pointless. And we see that when uh, in the verse here, when it says the commander, right after that, the commander came up, arrested him, ordered him to be bound with two chains. 
And then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another, since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar. Listen, these people didn't even know why they were there. There wasn't a real point to it. And Paul could have been like, this is ridiculous. I'm being beaten by people who don't even know why they're beating me. God, why have you forsaken me? This is pointless. There's no design to this. But we know that's not how it actually is happening. We know God is measuring it and designing it. And I want us to see in this text a way it's designed. Look at this, the next verses. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he, Paul asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, First of all, God, the upbringing and education of Paul was given to Paul in this moment, for for this moment. And then he says, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out in the wilderness some time ago? Paul was like, what are you saying, dude? Like, no, I'm not that guy. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in, what's that next word? Aramaic. So Paul has been given multiple languages to speak. His upbringing, his education, his ethnicity is all like custom fit for Paul for this moment. And we're gonna see that continue. This, the cross, the suffering that Paul is facing, he was, he was prepared for and it was designed for Paul. Things are not out of control. Things are not random and pointless. God is very involved in the cross of Paul. And I want us, man, we have to hear this. This is a grown-up Christian truth. God is sovereign. He's seated on his throne. He is in control even over our suffering. There has never been suffering in your life that God is not sovereign over, that has not passed through the careful hands of God. You need to know that. Ephesians 1 Chapter one, verse 11, hear this. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, listen, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There is nothing in your life or the universe that is outside the purpose of the will of God. Not a thing. Not a random crowd, not a random person, not even the work of Satan is outside of the purpose of God's will. Every time you suffer, it will be measured by God and it is not random. And we're gonna see this, we have to see this in a couple ways. Number one, we see this in Jesus on the cross. The cross was not man's plot to kill the son of God. The cross was not just Satan's plot to kill the son of God. Things were not out of control. And hear this, at the height, the most evil moment in human history, the most evil moment in human history, satanic evil, human evil, systematic evil, when when the son of God is on the cross, God was working the greatest good in all of history. You guys, that's how it works. God ordained Paul's cross. At at the beginning of Paul's life, he was telling, uh, I think it was Ananias who was gonna heal him. He said, I'm gonna show him how much he must suffer for me. This was designed, this was planned. And And I want us to look at, how did Paul think about his suffering? Did Paul think things are out of control? Look at when Paul was in prison, 
unjustly, look what he wrote in, in Ephesians chapter three, verse one. This verse could be, these, are like, these types of verses are all throughout his writings. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Roman government, unjust people, of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He's saying, I'm not a prisoner of people. I'm in the hands of God. And my imprisonment has a purpose. It's for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul knew I'm not a victim. I'm in the hands, the sovereign hands of God. Uh, One more biblical example before we apply it to our lives. You remember Joseph who suffered so much injustice. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. As a slave, he was unjustly accused of sexual abuse. He fled from it. He was innocent. And yet he ended up in prison. He's in prison for years. He could have said, this suffering is pointless. God is nowhere to be found. Where is God? And yet we see at the end of his life, as God raised him up to save the whole nation of Egypt and all the surrounding nations, he said this to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended it for good. And then he said, God sent me here before you to save many people. No, didn't evil people send him there? Well, yes, they did. But God had purposes in the unjust, wicked intentions of men to save many people. It was the sovereign hand of God. Church, if we have a small view of God and he's not in control, he's not seated on his throne, your suffering is gonna crush you and it, will feel, it won't feel measured and it, w- and it will feel pointless. But when you see the God of the Bible seated on his throne who works all things according to the purpose of his will, all of a sudden your suffering does have purpose. Your suffering has an expiration date. Your suffering has a good design in your life. No matter what people may do to you, God is involved and he's going to redeem it and he's going to work in you an eternal weight of glory. He's gonna change your character. He's gonna grow your trust in him. He's gonna use your suffering for mission that you would be able to reach many more people. And listen, he's gonna end your suffering. And Paul says, it'll feel light and momentary when we get to heaven for eternity. Our suffering is real and it's hard. But, but a biblical worldview says it's not the end of the story and it's gonna be light and momentary and God is with you. He's designed it. He's working out his purposes through it. We, ah, oh, church, we have to get this. When we get a bad diagnosis, we can't go, how, what's, we can't be spun out. What we immediately go is God is good. I know he has purposes and plans in this. It's not my suffering is good. My suffering is a cross. It's horrible, but God is good and he's designed it and he will be with me. He's measured it to a point and then he's gonna take me home and it will be worth it. We gotta have that reaction now because those, those crosses are going to come. We gotta know, trust, God is good. How do, the best way we can know God is good is the cross, is the love of God that when we were his enemies, he endured the greatest cross, the greatest unjust suffering for us and extended to us the love of God. We won't always, this is important, like Job, we won't always know what it is God's doing. We won't always be able to see 
what it is God is doing, but we can know God is good and he's sovereign and he took suffering, he dealt with evil and he's gonna make all things good. And here's, this is so important. At the end of the road to the cross for every Christian is a resurrection. The end of the road to the cross for every Christian is a resurrection. No more suffering. And do you know what the best part of the resurrection is? We're gonna see Jesus face to face. And in his presence, he's gonna make all things new. He's gonna give us new bodies, restore all of creation, our relationships, and our hardships. There is, though there are many, many crosses ahead of us, church, there is also real joy ahead of us. This is why we look ahead to, this is, this is how Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says, this is how we, this is what we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus picked up his cross because he knew it was measured, it was, there was purpose to it, it had an expiration date, and he knew there was joy on the other side of the cross. The joy of obeying his father, the joy of rescuing his bride and being with her in eternity. This is why we who follow Jesus and people like Paul on the road to the cross, we know there's joy ahead of us. This is why James could say stuff like he said in James 1, 2, consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because what he's saying is you're like Jesus. You're carrying a cross and joy is ahead of you. This has purpose to it. Your suffering isn't random. It's sovereignly designed by your good God. And so uh, as, as just a, a way to think about heading into worship now, we, um, as, as we have to hold on to those promises, also what I love and a promise in the Bible is we also get Jesus right now and we get his presence right now and his spirit with us even as we walk through valleys, the shadow of death, We don't have to fear because he is with us and he sustains us. And maybe the most powerful thing we can do in this life is to stop everything else and just to look at Jesus, to worship Jesus, to sing to Jesus, to bring all of our questions and confusion and suffering to Jesus and just look at him and find strength to endure. He is our refuge and our strong tower. So so this next moment as we worship is, is... we have to hold on to these promises and then it's just training our soul. I'm gonna, no, God is good. He's with me. He's not far away and I can, I can endure whatever comes my way. So Jesus, thank you for your, your powerful word that is at work. Your word is now at work in your church. Your word will not return void. Holy Spirit, would, would you um, turn that work that you're doing into confession in any ways that we've wandered from you, in any ways that we've wandered in believing truths about you? Would it lead us to comfort, Lord? Would it lead us to comfort that, that you are on your throne, that Jesus, you suffered for us, the greatest suffering there is, that this is not the end, that our suffering will be worth it because you are worth it, Jesus. Would your spirit bring comfort to your church? We know that many of us, this isn't a theoretical future thing. There, there's real crosses that are being carried right now by your people? Would your spirit bring real comfort? Would we minister to one another? Would we come get prayer and share our burdens and and minister comfort to one another? And then would those of us who have experienced that comfort by you, God, in our crosses, would we then turn and minister to others? 
No, Jesus is worth it. It's going to be okay. And Lord, would you also then just fortify us as your people? Would we believe these truths about you, about the cross, about your character? That's it's worth it. That there's purpose. Uh, this isn't random suffering. Satan doesn't have the final word. People don't have the final word. Our own sin and our own f- foolishness doesn't have the final word. Your cross and resurrection do, Lord. So fortify us now. Grow our faith and our trust in you as we worship you.